That means stop your talking and listen now, people. I hate interrupting fellowship, but uh, I'm going to give you a couple of announcements, and then we have uh, uh, just a, a little bit of a bigger announcement that you guys should know about. So, first of all, faith followers, back for the school year this Wednesday at 6.30 downstairs in the Faith Kids room down there. Uh, Miss Abby and Mr. Blake will be there leading it up. And I was told to tell all third through fifth graders that are going to come that you need to bring a towel because there's going to be water balloons involved at the night. It's not, you're not going to get wet enough that you need a change of clothes, but just enough to dry yourself off um, uh, after a game with water balloons. So that's this Wednesday, third through fifth graders downstairs. Uh, secondly, um, we have a Faith Men's Cookout with Food and Fellowship on September 9th. We're at 6 to 9 p.m. We're going to be at the Moore House at 136 Southway Drive in Statesville. And we are going to uh, just hang around the fire. We're going to grill up some uh, burgers and dogs and just have a time to uh, gather as men. This is kind of the, this is the kickoff um, for the new faith men's ministry here at Faith. Um, the women have been doing stuff for a while, and I was always wanting to start men's something, but never having the time or uh, the energy to do it. And so finally, I decided that I should do what the Bible tells me to do and put other people in charge of things sometimes. Um, and so what I did, or what we did, uh, is we put together... Um, uh, our deacon ministry. Um, and, and so uh, in the past, we've had deacons and they've kind of oversaw various things in the church. Um, but I did a little bit differently. Like I saw what the church needed. Like we needed men's ministry. We needed um, somebody to visit people who aren't able to make it on Sundays. We need people who can help oversee, help Caleb oversee the property here and, and all these different things. And um, I said, okay, God, who do you want in these positions? And I think that he gave me some great men, and we've met, and we're officially putting them back together. So I'm going to call them up here so that you know who they are and what they're doing. So first, I'm going to have uh, Blake Dunlap. And uh, where did Michael Moore go? Did, did you... He's in the nursery. Okay. Um, so Blake, come on up. Jeff, come on up. Uh, Sydney, come on up. Um, is Tim Huff here? Tim Huff is not here. Uh, so Tim Huff and Michael Moore. Um, Lloyd, come on up here. So uh, in Acts chapter 6, or hold on, let me find it here. It's Acts, it's not 6. It is Acts 6. Um, so what we see is they're trying to figure out how to feed the widows. And it says the 12, the, the overseers, summoned the full number of the disciples, said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now that sounds really bad, right? Like, well, I'm not going to serve tables. I need to preach. Right? But that's what they said because they're understanding that serving tables is not less than preaching. It's just a different calling. Um, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men full of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. 
but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Oh, Michael made it up. Thank you, Michael. Um, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose these different men. It says, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And so we want the word of God to increase and disciples to multiply greatly where we are. Um, so just to kind of give you a, a bit of an overview of what each man will do. This is Jeff Medlin right here. Jeff, uh, Jeff, anytime somebody calls the church and says, hey, I need some money for my electric bill. I need some money to cover rent this much. Um, they say, okay, you need to talk to Jeff, right? Jeff, um, you can tell he's, by his hair, he's full of wisdom, right? <laughs> gray. It, the Bible says gray hair is a crown of wisdom. I'm not speaking unbiblically here. So he's using wisdom in doing that, and he's kind of uh, heading up. He's the chair of it. Lloyd has no wisdom, right? right? <laughs> but Lloyd, Lloyd is just, he's my, he's my, he's my right-hand guy uh, from the deacon board. If, if I need something done that's outside the scope of what other people are doing, I just call Lloyd. Lloyd, can you do this? And normally it's like, yeah. Lloyd, can you cook some hamburgers and hot dogs? Yes. Can you come pray with me as we do some ministry and, and inner healing? Yeah, I can do that. We, uh, I call Lloyd. Blake and Michael will be doing the men's ministry. They'll be making up a team. Uh, Sydney is he's going to be doing visitation for people who aren't able to make it to church. Um, uh, but I, there's many that still watch online but aren't able to get to the building. And so Sydney's going to be uh, visiting them. Tim Huff is not here, but Tim Huff is going to help Caleb with uh, property things, like if Caleb doesn't know if the quote that he's getting is is a good price or something, he could just call Tim Huff and say, hey, this guy's trying to charge us this much to fix the plumbing, and Tim could say, that's a ripoff, or go for it. Um, so I'm going to have the elders come up at this point that are, the elders that are here, Michael, Pat, Andy, Allen's uh, down at the beach, and uh, we're just going to, I want us to lay hands on each of them, and we're just going to pray uh, over them. Um, uh, somebody come over here so Blake Andy come back behind here so you can lay a hand on Blake or Pat you can lay your one hand on somebody <laughs> alright Father I thank you for these men full of the spirit and full of wisdom Lord I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall on them Lord would come into them in even greater power so that they would be able to do what you have called them to do. I thank you for, for Michael and Lloyd and Jeff, Blake and Sydney and Tim. I thank you for them stepping up, Lord, and, uh, and doing what you've called them to do for this season at Faith Church. God, fill them fully and completely. God, and let the word of the Lord increase. God, and let disciples multiply greatly because of the work of these men's hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give them a hand as they find their seats. Lord, you are good. Why don't you stand with me? Lord, you are good. And we come here to praise you. We come here to sing. We come here to listen, to learn, to, to know what you have for us in this moment, God. And so I pray, come Holy Spirit, 
Give us the, the depth of who you are. Give us all that we can handle, Lord. Don't give us any more so that we crumble and don't give us any less that we starve spiritually, but God, give us the perfect amount of you for us this morning. Your loving kindness, your mercy, they endure forever. You are from everlasting to everlasting. And we here, we are here simply to praise you. God, so I pray that we offer our song, our lives, our affections right now as an act of worship to you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. How beautiful is that to see the goodness of God on display as he's providing for us here at Faith. I want to open this morning um, with a, a short passage from the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 10, it says, Lord, there is no one like you, for you are great and your name is full of power. Grab my phone. Who would not fear you, O king of nations? That title belongs to you alone. Among all the wise people of the earth and in all the kingdoms of the world, there is none like you. So we're going to talk this morning about the goodness and the greatness of our God. But let's just begin to just fill the room with just declaring how great our God is. Can we do that this morning? God, you are a great God. You are the great King above all gods. And we just exalt you. We give you the highest place. And we just enthrone you on our worship this morning. Oh, come and be enthroned. Come and meet with us. Hallelujah. How great is our God. Sing with me.
God, it's amazing what you can do in our lives because of your power and your greatness.
believer church. also his goodness and for most of us in the room you're going to struggle with one or the other so you're either going to believe that he's great and powerful and almighty like we've just been seeing that he can do anything you believe in that mighty power of God but then you struggle with his goodness but would he do that for me and then there's some of you who believe that God is just good he's nothing but good but then you struggle with but can he is he able? And so this morning, we want to we take goodness and greatness and we want to marry them. Because God is both great and he is good.
Holy Spirit, would you just hover over us? For in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore.
you for moving among us. Father, I pray that these, this act of praise and this act of singing was, was a sweet sound in your ear. It was fragrant. Father, we just trust and we believe that you're going to continue to work and continue to move while we're gathered here. While we open your word, you're going to speak. You're going to convict. You're going to call to righteousness. You're going to show us exactly who you are. So God, continue to, to move. Continue to show us your goodness. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stay standing. We have our 50 weeks in the Word. Every week we get one chapter, one verse, one Bible study. This week we were in Joshua chapter 2. And sometimes when you get into these Old Testament scriptures, it's difficult to find like uh, a good... Uh, what I called last week the coffee cup memory verse, right? But this one has so much in it. I love it. Uh, there's, there's promises and oaths. And then they said, when the Lord gives us the land. So there's faith in this verse. Saying, when the Lord gives it to us, we're going to deal kindly. So uh, I, was, I was practicing it this morning as I was walking through the hall. And I ran into Abby. She was making copies for the faith kids. And I was like, I'm just practicing, make sure, because I always go blank. And she said, it's a long one. I was like, yeah, it is. But, uh, but this is what we have this morning. Joshua 2, 14. It says, and the men said, Kindly and faithfully with you. You guys got to do it on your own. You can't follow me because I tell you, I memorize them and then I go blank up, up here. All right, you can have a seat. I told, I told uh, Pat Farron when he was guest speaking, I was like, memorize the verse because you're going to go blank. And he's like, all right, I got it, I got it. And then he talked to me the next week. He's like, man, I went blank. Um, let's, uh, we're going to start a new series called Faith Dogmatics. And if you look on your bulletin, I have another graphic and it has like an open Bible. And then yesterday I was telling my wife about it. She's like, did you put a dog on your graphic? And I was like, no, but I'm going to now. So uh, faith dogmatics, this is what we believe. And I know what a bunch of you are thinking. What is dogmatic? What is the, dog, what is the word dogmatics? When we're using it, faith dogmatics, what does it mean? It simply means that an authority saying which beliefs are true for the group that they have authority over. This is most commonly used for um, uh, the Catholic Church has dogmas. There's a book by um, some Protestants called the Reformed Dogmatics. It's, it's just what a group of people believe, right? And uh, sometimes you can get, uh, it, it can have a negative tone, like you're being too dogmatic or there's, there's too much dogma here, but uh, it's not a negative word. It's a neutral word. We just got to use it correctly. And, and so what we're going to do is as we dig into what faith church believes, we're gonna, I'm going to take you into some, the deep waters that we've been wading in 
for the past few years, and it's just going to be laid out over 10 weeks. Here are the things that we believe. And especially with this teaching, it, this is true with a lot of my teaching. I build it from week after week, but this one, you don't want to miss. If you miss a Sunday morning, if you're not able to be with us, you should really find it on YouTube. You should really find it um, on your podcast app because they're going to build. Like to this morning, we're talking about supernatural, and you're not going to understand the kingdom that we're going to talk about the next two weeks if you don't understand the supernatural. And then you're not going to understand the power of Jesus if you don't understand the kingdom. And it all builds, and we'll talk about the prophetic and healing and deliverance and all these different things that we believe. So this is what the, the series, Dogmatics, is going to be. And you can say, well, Charles, why did, why did you say dogmatics? Why don't you just say beliefs? Why don't you just say what you believe? And I was like, well, I just like fancy words. That's it. It's not, it's not any deeper than that. For me, it's like, why say belief when I can say dogmatic? Like, it's just funner for me that way. More fun, excuse me, Lauren. This morning, we're going to jump into the first thing that we're going to talk about is that everything is supernatural. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. And this is important because we don't want to strip away what the Bible says about God, about his kingdom, and about the work that he does. I like to cook and I'll look up recipes uh, online. Um, and so if I'm, if I'm going to look for a recipe, there's a couple sites. I know if I go to this site, I'm going to find a good recipe. And there's something that happens, like just on the internet in general, you should stay out of the comments, but on these sites, I'm like, these recipe sites, I'll, I'll like go into the comments, and there's one thing in there that, that always frustrates me, right? You'll have people, like, say you're looking up a recipe for just something basic like meatloaf, right? And the recipe says, take two pounds of ground beef, take some bread crumbs, soak them in milk, cook some onions, some carrots, uh, put some ketchup, a little bit of mustard, and just mix it all together and bake it. And that's your meatloaf, right? And it comes out and it's delicious. And then you go to the comments and there's always one or two people who write something like, well, I tried this recipe, but instead of using ground beef, I used ground turkey. And I don't eat nightshade, so I didn't put any onions in it. And or tomatoes, excuse me. I didn't use any ketchup because I'm allergic to nightshades. And I'm gluten-free, so I used almond flour instead of breadcrumbs. And it didn't really turn out very well, so this isn't a good recipe. And you're like, well, yeah, you took everything that made it what it was supposed to be, took that out, and then got some, some I don't mealy, gross meat concoction and thought it was meatloaf. But see, this is what the Western church has done a lot, especially since the Great Awakening. They've taken this piece of scripture, this piece of God, of being supernatural, of being so other than ourselves, right? And they take that away and they get this stripped down, watered down Christianity. And then they're like, I don't really like this. This isn't really for me. Yeah, because you don't have the real thing. You have like this portion of the real thing. Like, in talking about that meatloaf recipe, yeah, you have some sort of meat, and there might be some carrots in there still, and you might use some sort of, of, of eggs, a different kind of eggs in there or whatever, right? You have a little bit of it, but when you have the full recipe, that's when you see what it's really all about. That's when it's good to you. And so we have to start with the fact that everything is supernatural. 
that we come at this world looking at it with a supernatural worldview, that what is physical is not all that we see. And so I'm gonna read in Ephesians chapter six, and I'm just gonna read verses 10 to 13. And here's what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. This is the word of the Lord. So let's talk about dogmas. What beliefs, beliefs. Right, we hold, faith church holds to all the fundamental dogmas of the Christian faith that have been taught for centuries. So I'm not going to dive into these topics, but we believe them, we talk about them, right? We believe in the triune nature of an uncreated God. That God was not created and he is Trinity by nature. He is triune by nature. God is the creator and sustainer of all life. He's the only creator, he's the only Uh, being in existence that can create, and he sustains us all. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross. We believe these things. We believe the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. He rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. We believe that he has given to us personally and to the church as a whole the Holy Spirit, And we believe in the future bodily coming of Jesus as conquering king and judge. These are basics, right? These are the fundamental beliefs. You can find these beliefs basically in the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. These have been taught from the beginning. And if I'm looking at this, these are things that that we hold tightly we say, we, we will not let go of these truths. We will not let go of these realities because these are what ground us for everything else. And then I'm gonna add one at the end here that we believe that, that doesn't have the same weight as these first six, but is important in any ways. And that is the inerrancy and the authority of all scripture. We believe that the word is inerrant and it has authority in our lives. It is the, the guide for rule and practice. So those are the basics that we believe. And so that's, that's milk. And for the next 10 weeks, I'm gonna give you more meat, all right? And we're gonna start as we talk about dogmatics with our first one. Dogmatic number one, faith church believes that the world is a supernatural place. It's not very controversial. The world that we do not physically see is just as active and real as the world that we do see. And there are unseen entities that work in two distinct kingdoms, God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. And there is a battle that rages and will rage between these two kingdoms until Jesus returns. This is all part of what we'll teach this morning. And just so you know, I'm gonna have some verses referenced that I might not Uh, quote, or am I not even turned to, but they're just there if you wanted to do further study during the week, and you can always find my notes on the back connect wall, 
um, and take notes as I go if, if that's something that you wanted to do during the week. But we, we're gonna take this view, this view that the world is supernatural and we don't wanna water it down. And the way that Western Christianity largely waters it down is they wanna do two things. They wanna, they wanna explain away the supernatural in the Bible. They, they'll, they'll see verses that are supernatural and they'll say, well, that's not really what happened. It was, it was you know, all these people were having this experience together and they thought that Jesus fed 5,000. Or they thought that this happened. I've used this example a few times, but, but the best example for this for me is when Jesus calms the storm and he stands out there and he's, the sea's raging and they're gonna die and he just says, peace be still and everything's calm. And his best friends, his disciples look at him and they're afraid of him. And that is, that is so deeply, profoundly powerful. And then you'll hear a lot of modern day preachers say, well, you know what, this is symbolic. And the waves represent the troubles in your lives. And the boat overflowing means that you feel like you're sinking. And Jesus can come and say, peace be still to all your problems. And I'll be okay. Right, there's just enough truth in that to like make it, to make it poisonous. Right, because that's not what that passage is about. You can go to other passages in the scripture that say things like that, but that passage is about Jesus having authority over nature and being so powerful that his best friends are afraid of him. Right, we don't want to water it down. We don't want to explain it away. And we don't want to just concentrate on physical realities and not spiritual realities. Right, so we're going to start with Jesus because he is a supernatural Savior. During his whole ministry, Jesus was displaying his power and authority with supernatural works. If you break it down in the Gospels, it's basically the times that he's teaching are a third of what we see. The times that he's healing, so healing passages are a third, and the time that he's casting out demons are about a third of scripture devoted to Jesus's ministries. But when we concentrate on just the physical, then we'll talk about only the teaching, right? Because we don't wanna get into the supernatural stuff. We don't wanna get into the stuff that we can't necessarily explain or put a nice bow in or fit it into our paradigms of theology that we have. And so we'll spend 12 weeks on Sermons on the Mount and not teach on healing. We don't wanna do that here. We wanna take devoting time to all of Jesus's ministry. And so when he lives and he's doing these works and he's teaching, he's offering forgiveness, he's offering salvation, he's doing all of this, he does it sinlessly and then goes to the cross. And when, oh, we talked about it a few weeks ago, when what's happening in the spiritual realm and in the physical, bearing all of that in mind, what's happening in the physical realm and the spiritual realm, Jesus' death and resurrection is the most supernatural event in all of history. Uh, you know, he's getting, in the physical, he's getting beaten, he's getting bruised, he's getting tortured, he's hanging on a cross, he's dying. He's physically stopping breathing. He's, the cessation of life happens. And then he rises again three days later. And all while that's happening in the physical, in the spiritual realm, God is disarming all the rulers and authorities that have power and authority, and he's taking them down, he's stripping them, he's putting them to open shame, and he's conquering them because of what Jesus is doing in that moment. It is so beyond our comprehension. 
so beyond our comprehension. And Jesus embodied the supernatural worldview and supernatural lifestyle. And how did it start? And here's what's gonna happen for about the next 15 to 20 minutes. I'm gonna run down very deep concepts in the Bible. And I'm not gonna give a whole lot of explanation. If it's the first time you're hearing this teaching, you might think, what is he talking about? Wait, is that what that means? Is that what that says? Like, I, like this part that I'm gonna teach right now, uh, last year sometime, I literally spent three Sunday nights for over an hour teaching on it, right? So if you come across something and you want resources, you wanna know more about it, just come talk to me. Tell me, there's a couple books that I quote. You can grab those, but those are the kind of books that give you headaches because you have to reread the same paragraph a few times before you actually understand what's being said. Super scholarly. But if you want, but, you know, if you like YouTube videos, I got YouTube videos, I got podcasts, I got all of it, okay? But we're gonna go through some stuff, and if you've never heard it, it might start working on your, it might start uh, running around in your head a little bit, and uh, I want you to know that that uh, I have resources and I'm not crazy. I've read all of this in other places. Right? God is the only, only uncreated immortal being. Right? That's, that's, this isn't the hard part yet. Okay, this isn't the hard part. Right? Isaiah 40, 28 says that he is from everlasting to everlasting. 1 Timothy 6, 16 says that God alone is immortal and dwells in unapproachable light. Right? That's he is the only uncreated immortal beings. But when he creates the heavens, Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When God creates the heavens, he creates everything in the heavens. And this includes spiritual beings set to serve him in the heavens. And we generally just use a blanket term of angels, but that is so imprecise and I'm gonna use a, the blanket term of angels later and it hurts me just a little bit that I can't get more precise. But uh, in Job 38, seven, it says that as God creates the earth, that there's already these sons of God, these heavenly beings in existence. And they start singing for joy because God is creating the earth. So there's already been this creation of the heavens in which these spiritual beings are set to serve God, and then God creates as his ultimate creation human beings to rule with him on earth. Let's make man in our image. And so in his image, in God's image, he created them, male and female, he created them, and he gave dominion to them over the fish of the sea and all of that. This is what God does. And he's created it, and it's good. But then a little rebellion happens in the heavenly places. And Satan says, I want to ascend to where God is. I want to be above him. I want to rule. I want to have the power. And so he, he goes for that and he starts this rebellion in the heavenly places. And then as he starts this rebellion in the heavenly places, here's what happens. Humanity rebels. When Eve is tempted by this spiritual entity that we know is Satan, and Adam eats of the fruit and sin enters. When it talks about the serpent in Genesis, get out of your head, talking snake. Just get that out of your head, right? Get into your mind a spiritual being whom Eve has probably had conversations with before. 
Because if this is the first time, if, if, if this was her first time, I think there might, might have been a little fear there. Like, what are you doing? But he's like, hey, and they just come up and have a conversation, right? Adam eats of the fruit after Eve is tempted, and sin enters the world. And so when sin enters the world, everything's changed. The very fabric of all creation, of all reality, the very fabric of who we are as people, the DNA, it changes because sin enters the world and through sin, death enters. And so this rebellion has this catastrophic effect on all of creation. And then that extends to Genesis chapter six where spiritual beings rebel in Genesis chapter six and come to procreate with women, with human women. In Genesis chapter six, it says, I'm gonna, I'll read it. I, I only have it loosely memorized. So it says that the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any that they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. And the Nephilim were on those earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. And these were the giants, the ones who were of old, the men of renown. First, Peter talks about it a couple times. He alludes to it twice in his writings. Jude alludes to it in his writings. That, that That the DNA gets mixed up. Right? And this is one of the main reasons for the flood. It's because this, this wickedness was increasing. But there was one man who was pure and righteous, Noah. And so Noah was chosen to go forth with humanity. And that 120 years, that doesn't mean that we only live to 120 years old. What it means is that from the point that that happened to the flood was 120 years. He says, man's, man's only got 120 years to clear this up or something's gonna happen. And it didn't clear up. Wickedness kept increasing. And so God sent the flood. And at the flood, he resets everything. And he tells Noah, go, go take the earth again. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, take it all. And instead, humanity rebels by just gathering in a city at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. And here's one of those things, okay, just like we don't want to strip away the supernatural, right? So uh, one thing you have to understand is that ancient people were not as, were not dumb. They were not unintelligent. You're not smarter than them, right? They were smarter than you because you have to look everything up on Google and they studied the heavens for years to get their information, right? And so they didn't think, hey, if we just build a tower high enough, we'll get to heaven. They didn't believe that. They didn't believe, like if we just, if we get it two miles high, we'll be in heaven. That's not what they believe. What they're actually doing at the Tower of Babel is they're building a, a temple, which they call a high place because that's where men tried to commune with God. That's how come in the Old Testament you see, and this king tore down the idols in the high places. They were building a place where they could try to bring God down to their level. Right? It wasn't, we're just gonna build stones until we can climb it like a ladder. That's how come every civilization has high, has temples that are bigger than everything else around it. I've never seen the pyramids, but I hear that it's crazy to stand next to the pyramids because they're so huge. And I've seen, like I, had a, I thought I had this concept of how big they were and then I saw somebody standing in front of it 
and the first, the first level is like taller than them. And I'm like, oh, so these are huge. Mayans, Incans, all of these, all of these civilizations had these high towers built because that's where they performed sacrifices. That's where they tried to call on their gods. This is what's happening at the Tower of Babel. And God says, no, you cannot do that. And he scatters them. And when he scatters them, he sends them off to these lands. And when he, when he does this, at the Tower of Babel, when humanity is scattered, God puts angels in charge over people groups. And this is where it hurts me to say angels because the term there is Elohim, but I don't have time to go into what Elohim means in this context, but just think angels. He puts angels in charge of these certain people groups. And it talks about this in Deuteronomy a couple times. And in Deuteronomy 32, verses eight and nine, it says this. It says, when the most high, Yahweh, gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, when did he divide mankind at the Tower of Babel? He fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. Sons of God, same things that rejoiced at the, at the creation of the earth. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. So here's what it's saying. It's saying God put, scattered these people, put these angels over in charge of them, and then God chose Israel as his own bride, as his own child, as, as all of these different descriptors in the New Testament paint Israel. He chose them. And he tells Abram, says, look, if you're righteous and you're a righteous people, then all of these other people are gonna flock back to you. And these angels in charge of these other people groups were supposed to lead them back to Yahweh. But instead, they start to rebel and they start to take worship for themselves. And then in Psalm 82, it says that God takes his seat in the divine council and amidst the gods, God stands in judgment. And he says, how long will you deal unrighteously? And he, he lays into them. He says, you've been taking worship. You've been doing this. And now you're going, and at one point, you're gonna die like men. Because these, these entities that you see in the Old Testament that the other people worship, Baal, Ashtoreth, Chemosh, Dagon, right? The tendency to strip away the supernatural is to just look at that and say, those dumb people, they were just worshiping totem poles. They weren't dumb. Like If they're worshiping totem poles their whole life and nothing happens, they wouldn't keep worshiping totem poles. There's a reason they didn't go back to, to Yahweh, because whatever they're worshiping, these gods had real power. And they would interact with them. And so when you read these names in the Old Testament, these are real entities. But time and time again, the Bible shows Yahweh's supremacy over these other things that he's created. Dagon. There's a shrine and a temple to Dagon and they put the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God in there and the statues tipped over in the middle of the night. And they go back and they're like, that's strange. Let's just put it back up. And they put it back up. And the next night they come in and it's topped over, it's toppled and it's crushed to pieces. And then they're like, oh, maybe Yahweh's greater than this God that we worship. Here's what Mike Heiser says. He says, after Babel, he says, the rest of the Old Testament is about a God, 
of Israel and his people, the Israelites, in conflict with the gods of other nations and the people who live in them. When, when God's recounting the Exodus to Moses, he's talking about, remember when I took you out of Egypt? Remember. Remember when, he says, remember when I brought judgment on the people of Egypt through the plagues, right? And then he says, and I cast judgment on the gods of Egypt. Every plague was, was a polemic, was a, um, where's one of my fancy words, sorry. Uh, every, it was an attack on one of the gods that the Egyptians worshiped. Oh, you worship Ra, the sun god? Yahweh's gonna turn the sun black and it's gonna be dark. Oh, you worship these gods of the Nile River? Well, God, Yahweh's gonna turn that Nile River into blood and you can do nothing of it. Oh, you worship a God that brings you crops? I'm gonna send locusts that eat all the crops. Then it says, and, and then God tells uh, Moses, and I executed judgment on their gods. He can't execute judgment on something that's fake. Like, if I'm gonna execute judgment on a unicorn, it's not gonna happen. Right? If I'm gonna execute judgment, well, I, actually, I don't know. Maybe there's unicorns somewhere. Who knows? All right. And so these gods over these lands, Baal, Asherah, and then th- these spread. These spread. And, and people call these gods by other names that are not found in the Bible, like Odin and Thor and Zeus and Ares. Right? All these these things that we think are mythical and these people were dumb and they didn't know what they were doing. They're all real and at some point Satan, the ultimate rebel, becomes leader over these rebellious deities. And the whole intent, the whole intent was that they would come back to Israel, that the temple, we talked about last week, the temple built up so that the Gentile nations would come back. Would, they, Israel was supposed to bring them back. They were supposed to show them how much better Yahweh was than their, than their gods. But they're going off and they're worshiping these gods. They're bowing down to these gods. And God's executing judgment on Israel. He says, fine, you tribes, you're gonna be taken away. You two tribes, you're gonna be taken away. Oh, but I'll have a remnant because the Messiah needs to come. And Jesus comes onto the scene. And what is the first thing that Satan do? does? He tempts him. And he says, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of these nations. I'll give you all of them. And and Jesus uses the word of God to combat them every time. But I find it interesting that, that Jesus doesn't quote Psalm 24 and say, the earth is the Lord's and everyone in it. Because Satan had authority in this earthly realm. He calls him the, Jesus calls him the prince of this world. He's called the prince of the power of the air. Uh, uh, Paul refers to him as the God of this world, right? Not capital G, but little g. And so Satan says, I'll give you all of this if you just bow down to me. I'll take away my authority. I'll do all of it, right? But as soon as you bow down to worship something, you are saying that thing is better, greater, and higher than yourself. And so Jesus cannot, would not, will not do that. And what instead, when he refuses, he goes to the cross and cancels Satan's authority over the nations along with the authority of all the other spiritual beings over the nations. That's Colossians 2.15. And so all of a sudden, these deities, these deposed deities, seem to be what the rulers and powers are spoken of in Paul's letters. So when we read in Ephesians 6, 
that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. These are all real things. They're not concepts. They're not generalizations. They are real things, real living things. So Jesus did that on this big, grand scale in the heavenly places, in the unseen realms. And then here on earth, he he wages these smaller battles when he starts to battle the enemy as he casts demons out. His, one of his first public meetings, he's there, and, and this man, uh, demonized, stands up and he says, whoa, I know who you are. Have you come to torment us before your time? We know who you are. You are the Holy One, the Son of God. And Jesus doesn't torment him, just says, be quiet, get out of here. Leave the man. And then he gives his followers the abilities to cast out demons in his name, in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 10, Mark 16. And what we have to understand, these grand scale big things and these small scale little ones on the ground, right? The ones that stay up here and the ones that are down here that, are, that have been recorded in the Bible are still around now. That's part of the supernatural worldview. That these things are still around now. And I'm going to refer to them as deposed deities. They don't have authority anymore. They've been stripped of it, but they're still around. Here's the best way that I can kind of describe that to you. Uh, I cannot remember, and I've only been through five or six, but I can't remember another president who had his, ex-president who had as much sway as Trump does now, right? I just, I've never seen it, right? Like right now, at one point, he had the authority to enact, uh, well, he, he couldn't enact law, but he could do presidential orders. He could veto laws. He had the authority to run governmental organizations, to appoint people, to put people under his umbrella, to put people in his power hierarchy structure. He had all of that authority. And then he lost the election and he no longer has that authority. But more than any ex-president, he can still rile people up. All he has to do is he just gets up on a stage. He's like, Democrats are dumb and they're ugly. Follow me. And everybody's like, yeah. Like he still has all this sway and he'll say something and people, sometimes without thinking, sometimes with thinking, but they'll just go, yes, whatever he says. Yeah. Right. And so I'm not making a, a political statement. I'm just saying this is what it's like. He once had authority. He doesn't have authority, but he still holds sway. Like if he tried to go into the Oval Office now and veto a bill, the Secret Service would probably shoot him, right? Just because of the way things are. They'd probably just shoot him and be like, oh, he pulled a gun on us first. Um, that, sorry. That. <laughs> I got to stop going off the cuff. All right. So the question is, these deities that Jesus cast out, these demons that Jesus cast out, and the deities that once ruled over the world, did they just disappear or stop fighting? They just say, oh, nah, we can't, we can't legally do it anymore, so we're just going to stop. No big deal. We'll just hang out on the out. We'll just hang out up here, and we'll, we'll just kind of watch things. That's not the picture that the Bible paints for us. And now all authority which is the legal right, has been given to Jesus to rule in the heavenly places and over the physical place where we live. That's what he tells us. It's one of the last things he tells his followers. 
all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, so now you go. We'll talk about authority in a few weeks, but you go. You walk in it. You do it. And so if we understand that Jesus has all authority, but all these other things are still active, still around, still trying to derail humanity, derail God, trying to stop him from coming back, this is where we need to adopt a warfare worldview. Paul wants us to know in Ephesians chapter six that we must be ready for battle, but that the good news is, is that we stand in the strength of the Lord and not our own strength. He says, finally, he's ending, the, he's ending his letter. He's saying, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. He says, you have to stand, but you're not standing alone. You think you have to stand on your own power, but it's actually the Lord's power that is causing you to stand right now. He says, you have to put on your armor. Look, you don't wear armor if you're not expecting a battle. Right? If somebody, uh, if there is two or three people dressed up full military gear, fatigues, all of it, carrying on big guns, and they're just walking around downtown Statesville, and you saw them, you'd start looking around like, what is happening? Where's the threat? What's going on? So when Paul tells us to put on our armor, we're not going to walk around wearing armor looking foolish in the spiritual realm. He's, he's saying, be prepared for the spiritual battles. Saying, understand that this is what it's going to do. Because you, as much as it might seem to be the case, we do, not, we do not fight against things in the physical world. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So uh, we'll break this down later, but everything that we're dealing with Every problem that, that we have, they have spiritual roots, whether it's the, the, the sin of our lives, whether it's the, our fleshly nature, whether it's the, the spiritual uh, decadence of the world or lack of spiritualism and uh, the decadence of the world, these things are wrestling against us. Have you, when, when I was growing up, right, every, every sport, right, there was a lot of overlap, but like football players always thought football players were in the best shape, cross country, it's like, we can run way farther than you. Yeah, but you're built like a twig, and basketball players, like, we can go. But the people who were always in the best shape were the wrestlers. Have you ever tried to wrestle for like more than a minute? Like, really wrestle? Like, it's hard. Like, if somebody's actively, like, you're trying to, to, to really pin each other, it gets tiring really quick. You have to be in shape to wrestle. And Paul's saying, look, when you wrestle, you're not just wrestling against flesh and blood. You have your armor on. You have to be ready for the fight. And Paul says that we wrestle against demonic forces all the way from high-level entities to low-level spirits. Basically, when you see these, these terms used by Paul, rulers, principalities, powers, spiritual authorities, when you see these, he's basically giving you a hierarchy of the structure of Satan's kingdom. And the things that he mentions first are the things that are on top, rulers, authorities, or powers and principalities against cosmic powers over this present darkness or against spiritual forces in the heavenly places, right? So all these, all these deities that once held sway over people and lands that can no longer legally do that, they'll do it illegally if they're invited or wherever they can. 
I, I was listening to a fascinating, uh, I saw a fascinating YouTube video. I, this was probably a year and a half ago or so. It's by a man named Bennett Cook. Now, uh, Bennett Cook, uh, he was a man who was living a homosexual lifestyle in Hollywood. And he came to Christ and uh, abandoned that lifestyle and started to live for Jesus. Um, he, he's kind of one of those guys that nobody knows his name and you wouldn't recognize his face, but he probably, he wields a lot of influence in Hollywood getting movies made and things like that. And he had read um, a book that I quoted earlier by Mike Heiser. Um, actually, I quoted Supernatural, but he quoted The Unseen Realm and he was reading that. And The Unseen Realm t- teaches a lot of what I've just talked about. And he, he kind of stepped, and he, he just turns on his camera, and he's going to give this, he's just talking on this video, and he says, I've only read half the book, but something clicked for me. And he said, now I understand what was happening at pride parades. He said, these people are gathering, and it just gets, it, there's just debauchery everywhere from people who who, yes, were lived in sin, who, yes, were not living the correct lifestyle, or they were celebrating the wrong lifestyle, but he said they, it would just be full debauchery. Right? And he says, now I understand it. There was something greater at work there in that place over that people because they've invited them there. Right? It used to just be the celebration of their lifestyle. Now they're wearing shirts that say Satan uses pronouns. And things like this, like they've invited this in and we have to understand that these spiritual forces, they have, they they could be over places, right? Have you ever just walked into a house and you just kind of, or maybe your grandma had a house and that one room was always 10 degrees colder than the other room (laughs) and the heating system worked fine, right? These are all signs that there could be something else involved there. They're over vices. These, these entities are over vices. So come drug addicts look the same in the Philippines as they look at in uh, Philadelphia. It's why uh, sin looks the same no matter where you are in the world in different cultures. They're over movements. Right? If you look at the trans ideology, it, it ties back to ancient gods who wanted to blur the lines between the genders thousands of years ago. This is all the stuff that we're wrestling against. And Satan's at the top of it. Here's what Clinton Arnold writes in Powers of Darkness, which is a fabulous book. It's a headache book, though. In line with Old Testament, contemporary Judaism, and the teaching of Jesus, Paul taught that there was one primary figure, head of evil, Satan, who commanded a host of spiritual forces of wickedness. And Paul presents a picture of the battle happening in the heavenly places having direct impact on our lives in this physical realm. He's telling, he's telling these people, look, you have to stop looking in the physical because you don't wrestle against the physical, you wrestle against the spiritual. Right? And we want to take this supernatural worldview because if we believe in God and angels and all, we believe Hebrews when it says that there are angels that can minister to those, that, are, that we've been placed above the angels. When we want, if we want to believe that, then we have to believe that there's this opposite rebellious kingdom actively at work against us, God has already won victory. We're still battling, but he's already assured us that the victory is ours. It says says that his name, every knee will bow, and then he covers everything 
in heaven. Amen. All the, the, all the faithful spiritual beings, they will bow. On earth, every person, whether they want to or not, at one point they will fall on their knees and they'll say, you are Lord. And then he says, and under the earth. That these things that war against us, that fight against us, that cause harm to us, that we give into these things, one day they'll bow and they'll say, Jesus is Lord. He is king. And then they will be destroyed. They will die like men. And so we need to be prepared. I present to you this reality. And if it's the first time or second time you've heard it, sometimes it can feel a little bit like scary, fearful. Look, this is not a recipe to live in fear. Paul says, because this is true, Take up the whole armor of God and you will be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. It's like you put on the armor, you'll be able to stand against it. And even when you feel like you can't stand against it anymore, you've done everything you can, still stand firm. Stay in the battle. Don't leave it. Keep fighting. Don't give in to the addictions. Don't give in to the mess. Don't give in to the sin. Stand firm. Look, I'm simply giving you an awareness of what is actually happening so we can respond accordingly. I'm, hold on, I'm debating. Sometimes I have these internal debates like, do you say this and sound crazy or do you just keep going? You guys like the crazy Charles though, right? Okay. I'm gonna say so. Oh man. I wish this wasn't on stream. Okay. Have, has anybody watched the congressional hearings lately? Where they've said, hey, we have found unidentified flying objects. So this isn't like conspiracy, Charles. I have a lot of conspiracies, trust me. But this isn't conspiracy. This is like matter of record now. It's like, hey, we have recovered aircraft that we don't know its origin, and we recovered bodies that don't know its origin, right? Okay, theory only. You have to know that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, and spiritual darkness, and cosmic evil in the heavenly realms. Okay? Get my meaning there. That's all I'm going to say on it. I can't... I can go into a conspiracy rabbit hole for like two hours here, okay. So you have to be able to respond accordingly to things that are happening in this world, right? Understand, understanding this worldview of the supernatural gives you the means to overcome your struggles. Like this should give you hope. Like yes, all of this is happening. There's things happening that I can't see. Jesus did so much more than I can ever begin to imagine. You can have hope. Hope in that because you can learn the root cause of your struggles. Like you have struggles in your marriage, it's spiritual warfare. You have struggles at work, spiritual warfare. Lost in addiction, spiritual warfare. Struggle in your spiritual disciplines, you can't open the Bible, you can't pray. It's all spiritual warfare. Any place where you are battling your flesh, where you are fighting against 
uh, what Satan wants you to do and you are doing what God wants you to do when you are praying God's will be done in your life and you're struggling, you're failing, you're falling. It's all spiritual warfare and God has assured us that he has given us the victory in that. It's all spiritual warfare. So the communication problems that you're having in your marriage, what, what spiritual thing is behind that. I'm not saying if you can't communicate well, you have a demon. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying maybe there's some hurt there that you have to deal with. When you're at work and you can't deal with the people around you, what's going on in you that's not allowing you to do that? Well, you don't understand. They're this, that. I don't care. God's commands are for you, even if they're not following them. So when he says live at peace with everybody as much as it is up to you, you live at peace. It is, and living in peace is war. Sound, that sounds counterintuitive, right? But living in peace with everybody can be warfare. And once we begin to look at it like this, we can say, oh, God, you won the victory here. I, I want to walk in your victory. You've already battled this. You've already done away with this. It's your name, if, if there is something else at work here, it's going to bow and it's going to stop. Right? This is, this is the, the gospel that we've been presenting here for the last few weeks that, that God always was and Jesus came down to live among us because he wa- God wants to be with you. God wants to be with you. God loves you so much that he wants you in his family. And so Jesus lived and he died on the cross. He was buried for three days and he rose again. He conquered death, conquered all of it. And then he goes and he sits at the right hand of God right now. He's living in all authority. And then he says, you guys, you get all of this. We're called joint heirs with Christ. That means if God made a will, and if it was just you and Jesus, if it was just you and Jesus, it's not just you and Jesus, but if it was, and God made a will, Jesus gets 50% and you get 50%. That's what a joint heir is. Think about the enormity of that. You learn the root cause. And once you get to this root cause, you call on Jesus, you follow him, then you can overcome. We have to stop tackling spiritual problems with physical means. It'll always fail. We get the wrong diagnosis. If If I threw out my elbow, it wouldn't do me any good to ice my knee. I'd just be cold, be miserable, and I'd be walking fine and my arm would just be like this, right? You have to diagnose what's actually wrong and go after that. And for far too long, the church, Christians, man, we've been trying to fight physical, uh, spiritual battles with physical means. And it just doesn't work. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are for the tearing down of strongholds. What are the weapons of our warfare? Prayer. In the word. Praise is a weapon. 
being faithful to God is a weapon. Denying yourself is a weapon. Living spiritually is a weapon. And we might see him in the flesh, but it's a spiritual weapon. And you want the strongholds to be torn down? You have to start fighting. The strongholds in your life, the strongholds of addiction, the strongholds of sin, the strongholds of anger, of fear, of doubt, of all of these things, you have to start fighting. And we will overcome their knowing all these things. We are more than conquerors through him and loved it. We're not only conquerors, we're more than conquerors. I don't know what more than a conqueror is, but it sounds really good. Like I think maybe it's like we get to conquer and then we get to trash talk, I'm hoping. Like I think that's what it is. Like yeah, Satan, take that, right? I don't know, but we're more than conquerors. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus at the center of everything gives us victory. And for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You have the means to overcome the world because of Jesus. We, we have to understand. We will face battles all the time, every day. Satan's looking to get footholds. Satan's looking, but Jesus is greater. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We overcome, we overcome, we overcome because Jesus already did. And so now, when you find yourself in these situations that you find yourself in, you're gonna give in to the addiction. You're gonna turn on the computer late at night. You're gonna walk in to the liquor store. You're gonna do these things that have had holds on you. You can step back and you say, okay, it seems like my body is, is craving this. But I'm fighting a spiritual battle right now. You're about to get angry at your kids and you're about to just unleash because it's just bit and you, have, you can step back and you can say oh like maybe they need to be disciplined I'm not saying you don't discipline your kids they might need to be disciplined but you don't have to vent your full anger on them marriage work find yourselves in these situations you can take back you can take a step back and say okay God What's happening right now? Holy Spirit, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you. Right, these are the weapons. Questions, do you believe that Jesus has overcome evil? Like, yeah, you have to have the right belief first. You have to believe that Jesus overcame it. You have to believe that that he is greater than anything that has ever existed. And as I've been talking, have you identified a place in your life where you might have to deal with spiritual roots? Like the whole time you thought this was a physical problem, you thought it was just uh, something that, that, uh, that you'll have to deal with your whole life. It's just that, or can you take a step back and say, okay, 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a magnifying glass on this struggle, this difficulty that I'm having, and I'm gonna see, is this spiritual? And I think if you dig deep enough, if you put that microscope close enough, you'll see that it's spiritual. And once you know that it has the spiritual root, you can believe in Jesus for victory. This is what we do when we have the supernatural worldview. Why don't you stand with me? Lord, have your way. Come, Holy Spirit. I just get the sense that there's um, person, people maybe who, who you heard, you heard all the message, right? And you, you heard about these things in spiritual places and the warfare that we're in, but you didn't really hear that Jesus has the victory. That Jesus already has the victory. He's given us the victory and we can defeat it and overcome it. It's caused fear in you. We don't want you to leave in that fear. We want to pray that fear away because God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So if that's you and you want to come up during prayer, you can come to Pansy or Pam in the front row and they'll pray for you. Also, when I was praying earlier, I was asking God, I sometimes do. God, is there anything you want to heal? And I got the word bursitis. So if you're dealing with any bursitis, I'd love to pray for you before you leave. Lord, I long for the day when all evil is eradicated. Like right now, Lord, I join with the martyrs in heaven saying, how long, oh Lord, how long will you delay your wrath? How long? But God, until that day, Lord, equip us for battle. Let us be part of the army that goes forward and takes captive your enemies and presents them to you as an offering. I thank you, Lord, for, for your power and your goodness. God, and right now, whether literally or figuratively, Lord, at your name, I pray that we would just all bow. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's just sing about the authority of Christ.
are great and mighty and worthy to be praised. The earth is yours and everything in it, Lord. We leave here, Father, secure, Father. Lord, I pray that right now that you would be securing armor that might have fallen off, armor that might have gotten loose, that might have opened doors for an attack, Father. We pray that you would secure it. Secure the helmet, the breastplate, the belt, the sword, the shoes. Father, secure it on to us, Lord. And Father, give us the, the knowledge, the wisdom to look at things the way you look at things. That we would find you when we seek you, like you promise, and that you would be our ever-present help in our time of need. And God, like the song we sang says, let us be that for others as well. When we see others in the battle, when we see others in the struggle, let us bring the clarity and wisdom that you want to bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.